Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Snuggle Bunnies, we are excited to announce that Martinis and the Macabre is going to be attending the very first annual True Crime Podcast Festival on July 13th, 2019 in Chicago. The festival is being specifically designed for podcasters and listeners to mingle, interact, and have casual conversations with the podcasters you listen to regularly. There will also be panel discussions and live episode recordings. Some of my personal favorites that are registered are Ignorance Was Bliss, Murder and Such, Dark Poutine, Sword and Scale, Southern Fried True Crime, and Already Gone, just to name a few. The list of registered podcasts updates regularly, and you can find it at tcpf2019.com slash podcast. You won't want to miss this. So go to the website tcpf2019.com to find information on tickets and the hotel. Prices do go up the closer we get to the event, so you won't want to wait. And when you buy your ticket, and this is important, guys, please make sure you mention Martinis and the Macabre on the ticket registration survey. We can't wait to see you next July at the True Crime Podcast Festival. Thank you for listening to the Martinis and the Macabre podcast. This show contains graphic content and explicit language and is intended for immature adult audiences. Listener discretion is advised. posed with a, an interesting question the other day. What was the question? If you were to become a cannibal, do you think that tattoos would alter the flavor of the meat? Didn't Jeffrey Dahmer say he didn't like to eat people with tattoos because they taste different? He might have. That's a meme I saw. It could totally be bullshit. <laughs> uh I've never tried tattoo ink, so I don't know what it would taste I've never like. Eat, I've never eaten a person, but um, I would totally eat a person who has tattoos because I'm not a fucking piece of shit who labels people by their skin. Hmm. As long as they have skin, they're good in my books. Well, yeah. I mean, I can always skin them if I don't. I mean, like, I take the skin off my fried chicken sometimes, so, I mean, you know. And if that's the case, does it matter if they have tattoos? I don't know, if but like, if you if you had the option, would you would you go for the tattooed piece every once in a while just to try? I don't know. Do you think the meat would taste different if you ate the hip and it was replaced with metal? It might might have a metallic taste. Maybe, yeah, uh, not not like a good wholesome taste like bones would have. I was supposed because the bone marrow would come out. And it would, you know, I kind of that's disturbing. Right? <laughs> But fitting for this podcast. Yeah. Speaking a, of which. It's a hit scratcher. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Welcome to Martinis and the Macabre, the podcast where we drunkenly discuss morbid murders, mysteries, and mayhem. My name's Erica. I'm joined by my husband and co-host, Billy. I can only poop if there's 80s music playing. Story wow. to come later. It probably won't come later. Yep. <laughs> Billy likes to leave everyone in suspense. There's nothing suspenseful about me being unable to poop unless there's 80s music playing. People want to know why. They well, want they want to know the deets. Okay, so, okay, <laughs> okay. So at work, I had sometimes helpers come and help me because it gets busy during the afternoon, like rush and whatever, you know. And it's hard if it's just one guy in the store. So I'll have somebody come and help. Usually, it, it, it's uh, my uh, colleague Mary, who used to manage the store before I did, and. She would come in and help, and it's great because if she does, that means I can actually go sit down and take a take a dump and in peace. Usually, I have to sit down and fire out, you know, blow an O ring, because you never know if somebody's going to be walking in any second, you know. So you got to sit down, paint the toilet, and get up. And yes, as that mouse found out, that poor poor mouse. Sometimes I think about him. <laughs> Tear. Yeah. <laughs> But I try to do a service to Mary and to anybody working or any salesman who are there doing whatever, you know, I'll go and I'll turn on the radio station so that there's music playing in the store so you don't hear the abomination I'm giving birth to in the toilet. Mm. And now I've gotten to the point where it's kind of hard to poop unless there's 80, it's an oldie station and they play 80s music. And um Yeah. You feel like an old man on the toilet? I feel weird now because I sit down like, ah, this isn't right, and I had to get up. Waddle over. Didn't even bother pulling up my pants because I had the, the office locked and everything, you know? Uh-huh. And <laughs> power <laughs> like a virgin. I was like, that's it. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah. I didn't know there was an actual story that went with that. Yeah. I thought you were just... Oh, no. No. This is a thing. Blowing shit out your ass, but that's a... Two 80s music. Yes. A it's a... Um, good pun there. It's... um, it Which is great, because if you were watching me, which is creepy, it would kind of be like... It would kind of be like an 80s montage. Really? Grunting, sweating, to the oldies, really. Uh-huh. And uh, it'd be all 80s music. You're the best around. No one's going to ever keep me down. Funk. You're the best. Funk. Around. You know, so. Yeah. I don't think I've ever had a shit go thunk. Oh, well, you haven't lived, sister. Uh, I guess not. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's get into this. Nothing's more relaxing than shitting to Peter Gabriel. I'm just saying. I could see that. Or, I forget his name. It's going to bother the shit out of me. You probably know, but the. One of the best, <laughs> one of the best dumpers ever was when I was listening to Sledgehammer. <laughs> That's Peter Gabriel. Is it Peter Gabriel? Yeah. No, it's not. Yeah, it is. Look it up. I'm gonna look it up right now. Well, who does a song "Your Eyes"? Is that Peter Gabriel too? Yeah. I know that's Peter Gabriel. But wait, no, that's not Sledgehammer. Let's wait so I can prove Billy wrong. Yeah, Peter Gabriel. You're right. Yeah. Man, he can really let he can really make me poop. I'm sure he would be very flattered to know that. Thank you, Pete. I'm going to call him Pete now. You seem to take quickly to calling people by first name that don't even know you. Mm Mm-hmm. Just because they can make you shit. Yeah. 
Yeah, that we have a bond. We have a connection. That's for sure. They just don't know One it One that he doesn't know about. He doesn't know it yet. <laughs> Not until he gets those letters. Oh, that's why you've been so busy at night. Yeah, I just got to find those stamps. I hid them. Okay, I'll get more. That's fine. <laughs> now I... It was crazy. It's like afterward, I'm like, I saw it's going to be stuck in my head all day. And I'm ringing people up. I'm like, like a virgin. Hey! Touch for the very first... That'd be 1176. Like a virgin. <laughs> you want a bag? <laughs> <laughs> all right. So for this episode, we're going back about 200 years. So put on your bonnets and your top hats. This story. Oh, what? Um, what are, oh, what are those? What are those? Shirt. Oh. Shirt sleeves? No. Oh, man. The people who stopped, dropped, and rolled. Shirt waist? Is that what they, call, that what they called it? I think so. Shirt waist. Yeah. Yeah. Put those on. So, uh, yeah, this story starts with a doomed whaling ship and ends with cannibalism, which was fitting for my intro there. It really was. But before we get to the meat and potatoes of the story, let's get a little lesson on whale ships and the profession of whaling 200 years ago. And in a minute, there will be a trigger warning because we are going to talk very briefly about how the whales were hunted. So if you're sensitive to anything involving animals, skip ahead a little bit. Get some reassurance in the fact that there is a moratorium on whaling, so most countries aren't allowed to do it anymore. But I will warn you when we get to that part, but if you've listened to our show before and heard how we describe people being murdered viciously, I don't think too many of you are going to have a problem with hearing about a whale being hunted. If you're going to get, I hate that word, but if you're going to get triggered, (laughs) then just... Rest assured, this is, animals get killed. It's a thing. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and this is 200 years ago. So. Yeah. Yep. So, whales were a hot commodity back in the day. Their meat, bones, and blubber were used for a variety of things, including lamp oils, lubricants, toys, corsets, piano keys, art pieces, pretty much anything you could think of, they found something on the whale to use to make something. Even ambergris. Yes. In the stomach. Yeah, they use that to make perfumes. All different kinds of whales were hunted, but sperm whales were in high demand because of the oil in their heads called spermaceti. You and said it would sperm. I did a couple times. <laughs> and uh, this stuff would burn without smoking, so people really like that. Neat. But I want to know who the hell decided to test this. You're like found out. Yeah. Let, let's set some whale pieces on fire and see what happens. <laughs> That would be weird just to see a fire with no smoke, really. Yeah, would be. That's strange. You want to go hunt some sperm whales? I'm not that invested. Yeah, I didn't think so. (laughs) Be on a whaling ship and I have to poop and there's no 80s music? I'll fucking die. Sperm whales are about 40 feet or 12 meters long and weigh approximately 100,000 pounds or 50 tons. So that's a lot of oil and meat and bone to procure. And although whaling could be lucrative... It was a very difficult and dangerous profession, much like crab fishing is today. Large whaling ships would leave for months or sometimes even years at a time for whaling voyages. The crew would sail out into the ocean and basically float around until they spotted a whale. Whale ships would hold several smaller boats, usually 25 to 30 foot long or 7.6 to 9.1 meter long. Uh, They're called whale boats. And those would be deployed into the water with a small crew on board. 
And, uh... Womp, 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 womp. Warning. Warning. <laughs> Here's your warning. If you want to skip ahead a minute or so, uh, go ahead. I'm not going to go into any gory details, but here's basically what would happen on a whale ship. So the crew would maneuver themselves very close to the whale and would throw a harpoon that was tethered to the boat at the whale. Once the whale was pierced, it essentially dragged the boat around until it got tired, which is when the crew would kill it with a lance, which is like a big spear or a javelin. They would then tow this whale, that was usually larger than their own boat, back to the main vessel. The crewmen would put these belts around their waist called monkey belts that were secured with rope to the ship, allowing them to dangle or lean over the sides of the ship to harvest the items from the whale. Oh, you think like, a, like, like how a monkey hangs from a tree by his tail? Mm-hmm. I see. And they would bring large pieces of meat and bone onto the ship to be cut down into smaller pieces and stored. And that's pretty much all I'm going to say about it, because how each specific piece is obtained and used isn't really important to the story. But knowing what the vessels do and how the crews do it is kind of important. So, moving on. In 1799, a ship named the Essex launched for the first time, initially believed to be a merchant ship before being converted for whaling. It was 87 feet long, or 26.5 meters, which was on the small side for a whaling ship and was reportedly built in Amesbury, Massachusetts, here in the U.S. Once it began being used for whaling, it had a history of good return and was considered a lucky vessel to be on for whaling voyages. It had four of the smaller 28-foot whale boats on board with an extra whale boat below the deck, so five in total. Now, in August of 1819, 21 crew members prepared for a two-and-a-half-year voyage, and I deliberately did not say men because the youngest of the crew was only 14 years old. But I guess back then that probably would have been yeah. pretty close to a man. <laughs> Everybody was dying of tuberculosis. That's right. And on the 12th, the Essex launched from Nantucket and headed toward the west coast of South America. It was captained by 29-year-old George Pollan Jr., one of the youngest men to ever command a whaling ship. He and his 23-year-old first mate, Owen Chase, had served together on a previous trip on the Essex, which had been very successful and led to promotions for the two. That's a long voyage, man, to go from Massachusetts to the west side of South, west side. Of South America. You'd have to go around the whole fucking thing. Uh-huh. Fuck hyphen that. I don't want to whale that bad. They did. I'm not going on the boat now. That's why they planned on it being two and a half years. <laughs> they can offer as much fucking... 80s music as they want. I ain't going. Okay. I'm not, not going to make you. I'm not doing it. I ain't doing it. I'm not doing it. Okay. I'm not. All right. Okay. Well, ah! we're all friends here. We're all friends here. That's so long. It is. Ah! <laughs> well, things went well for a whole two days before trouble struck. They were hit with a strong squall which is a sudden burst of increased winds that lasts for several minutes. The squall knocked the boat on its side for a moment, almost sinking it. Two of the whaleboats were destroyed and a sail was lost, but the ship remained afloat. I would say bad mojo and have turned the ship back to port, but not this captain. He was like, uh-uh-uh, ain't gonna bring us down. Aren't sailors superstitious, too? Them there winds be bad, you know? And you think. Let's go back to... Nantucket, I say, matey. But no, this voyage is so new and we just left. Yeah, but the winds are fierce. 
And we're talking about the west side of fucking South America. Are you fucking serious? Yeah, really? it's only been two days. Oh, fuck that. We got two and a half years of this shit. Uh-uh. Nope, turn the shit around. But Captain yeah, Pollard. Two and a half year voyage on day two. This is where we're at? Yeah. Captain Pollard uh, was like, uh-uh, no. If uh, we turn around and go to Nantucket, some of the crew might desert us when we hit land and not want to get back on. So him and the first mate yeah, decided... they were in a ship that tipped over. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they decided, no, nah, let's just keep going because they might try and leave us. So essentially... <laughs> holding them hostage. Holding them hostage, yeah. <laughs> Kidnapping, really. Yeah, when you think about it. Really? When you think when about you it. think about it. So they didn't really give the men a choice and kept on sailing, making it to Cape Horn about five weeks later. Around this time, one of the crew deserted bringing the crew to 20. But still, but still not finding any signs of whales, they decided to head far away from mainland shores and into the South Pacific. They anchored on Charles Island in the Galapagos, which was later named Floriana Island, to restock and repair the leak on the ship. They also collected hundreds of 100-plus pound tortoises to supplement their food supply. That's some pretty big tortoises. They make big bowls, big meat bowls. And hundreds of them. I think one time they took like 300, another time they took like 60. So they put a lot of fucking tortoises on their ship. I wonder what tortoise tastes like. I don't know. I bet it tastes different. It was tattooed. (laughs) (laughs) I'd want one that went down fighting. Like a Ninja Turtle. Ah. I would eat a Ninja Turtle if I was able to take him down. I'd... But would you be able to take down a Ninja Turtle? That's the thing. I mean, he's a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. Yeah. And I'm an old, fat man, so... That poops to 80s music. Yeah. <laughs> so, while on this island, a helmsman named Thomas Chapel thought it would be a funny prank to set a fire for some reason. Because that's always hilarious, right? <laughs> he's a screwball. He's the jokester <laughs> of the boat. Hey, sh- guys, would it be crazy if I lit this bitch on fire? Dude, you're crazy, man. I know, right? Yeah. So, uh, normally there wouldn't be too much of a problem, but it was late October and it was the height of dry season in the Galapagos and the fire quickly spread, nearly surrounding the crew. That should have been warning number two. <laughs> as, as fires tend to do. <laughs> they had to run through the flames to escape the island, which was almost totally engulfed by the time they made it back to the ship. The burning island was still visible on the horizon even after a full day of sailing. And fun fact, it's thought that this quote-unquote prank contributed to the extinction of the Floriana Island tortoise and the near extinction of the Floriana Mockingbird. So, way to go, Thomas Chapel, you dickweed. You killed some species off with yeah. your prank. I don't know why, but I just pictured like the Jackass logo on the bottom of the screen. It's like, I'm Tom, and I'm going to burn this bitch down. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, wow, wow. (laughs) (laughs) But even the second bad omen was not enough to stop the crew. They continued on way out into the ocean, finally spotting whales on November 16th. On November 20th, three boats were deployed, one of which was headed by first mate Owen Chase. A whale surfaced directly under Chase's boat, causing severe damage to the vessel. The boat returned to the ship for repairs, but they were never completed. Chase spotted a large sperm whale believed to be about 85 feet or 26 meters long, and average males are about 65 feet long. 
So this was even bigger than the normal male. You, you, you call that whale Gus. Yeah, he's Hoss. Yeah. <laughs> Large Marge. Ah, yeah. Yeah. Large Marge. And they noticed it was acting strangely. It was kind of lying motionless on the surface of the water facing a ship, just kind of eyeing them. Now, some have later speculated that the hammering from the crew making the repairs on the boat may have sounded similar to the click sounds that whales make when they communicate, and that the whale may have believed the ship was actually another male whale that had entered his turf and become territorial. This is Bloods and Crips. More, you know, male gusto in the animal kingdom where you get territorial, and it's like, that motherfucker's over there, I mean, making all this noise, acting like he's all big and bad. I'm going to show this bitch. I'm going to go stare at him. Oh, no, 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 no. He was just preparing. He was staring it down, planning his attack. <laughs> or he was just interested. Hey, guys. What you doing with them long spears? Nah. What's all this to do? No, regardless of the reason, he charged, smashing head-on in the port side, which is the left side, with, quote, such an appalling and tremendous jar as nearly threw us all on our faces, end quote, Chase would later recall. It passed under the ship and when it surfaced, it appeared stunned. Chase later stated, quote, I could distinctly see him smite his jaws together as if distracted with rage and fury, end quote. <laughs> like, holy shit, I did that? Wow! <laughs> Chase debated on trying to spear it, but decided against it due to its tail being right near the rudder, which it could have easily destroyed if it had been thrashing around in pain. But the whale quickly recovered and started swimming away. And so everybody was like, whew, crisis averted. You know, there's that one superstitious guy on the boat who's like, that, -uh. that, that there's got the souls of them dead turtles and birds. <laughs> that fish has got the heart of the tur turtles and the birds in it. You said turd. Turd. <laughs> hey, um, throughout your diligent reporting here, um, how many people died on the island? It was uninhabited. Oh, well, okay, good. So, when you kept reading on, I'm like, what about the humans? We matter too. <laughs> no, okay. it was uninhabited by a human. Wow. Just the, the prankster and his fellow crew. Tom made sure nobody stepped foot on that motherfucker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Tom's a real dick. Yep. God damn, Tom. <laughs> Tom needs to get laid. He is on a ship with a bunch of other men for two and a half years, so. Yeah. Oh. Martin and Macabre. Fun fact. Back in the day, when there was a bunch of war at sea, um, the warships would take prostitutes with them for, you know, you know, they didn't play euchre. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> well, they maybe did. It was it was penis vagina sex. So, <laughs> um, sometimes they would get pregnant, and when they did, they would have to give birth. The thing is, though, is the baby doesn't care when what's going on. The baby's coming. It's coming. And that's it. So, there, sometimes there's a battle going on. Well, when there's a battle going on, the place is pretty hopping. It's pretty busy. And the only place where there's not a whole lot of people is in between cannons, so the prostitutes would have to give birth laying down on the deck in between the cannons, hence the term, son of a gun. Yeah. Erica, go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the whale started swimming away, and they were thinking, okay, that crisis was kind of averted, but of course they had to start fixing the ship because a fucking whale had just rammed it. So they start trying to quickly make repairs and getting the pumps working when one man shouted, quote, Here he is! He is making for us again! End quote. 
The whale, in order to get a running start, had gotten several hundred yards in front of the ship and turned and charged again. Because he was like, uh-uh, bitches, I ain't done. He was impressed and got confident. <laughs> he, he, he hit that motherfucker. He was like, damn, I did that? Oh, shit. I wonder what would happen if I backed the fuck up. I wonder, like, <laughs> he went up to him, he was like, nur not now. And it turned around and swam. They're like, oh, thank God. He's, he's like, nah, bitches. <laughs> <laughs> you don't Patrick, know. Woo! <laughs> what if all he wanted was Thomas thrown overboard? Maybe. There had to be one person to pitch that during their little fucking meetings, hammering shit back together. You know, they're like. He was the exact opposite of Thomas Chapel's spirit animal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One of them, you know, there's like a little crew like in the corner eating turtle, I guess. Uh, there's like, what do you think would happen if we just fucking, you know, Thomas, like this shit kind of happened after it. What Thomas, I mean, he burnt the motherfucker down. Did you see the fire? It had smoke. It wasn't oil. <laughs> think we should just like i don't know guys like just let us fucking throw it throw him overboard maybe the whale will stop <laughs> sacrifice to the whale and you know they, they they all went no no don't no 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 that's not christian or whatever you know whatever it is they did back then but you know that there was that one solid two seconds of silence where they all were like hmm no no don't do <laughs> we that we can't do that no, no. <laughs> it would just take a second just right across his neck really hard and fast <laughs> He won't even see it coming. Or we can let him see it coming. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> What's important is that the whale sees it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Tom, catch this knife with your neck. <laughs> Good catch. <laughs> ah, he dropped it. So, yeah, the whale started charging again. Chase recalled, quote, I turned and saw him about 100 rods, which is 500 meters or about 550 yards directly ahead of us, coming down with twice his ordinary speed of around 24 knots, which is about 44 kilometers per hour or 27 miles per hour. And it appeared with tenfold fury and vengeance in his aspect. The surf flew in all directions about him with the continual violent thrashing of his tail, his head about half out of the water, and in that way he came upon us and again struck the ship, end quote. The whale made a direct impact on the bow of the ship, crushing it and pushing the ship backwards. Then just swam away, apparently having made his point. He was like, ha-ha, bitches. Yeah, they call me Torpedo. What you think about that? Another interesting fact, a lot of people actually know this, but knots has to do with actual knots and rope. They would lower, I forget what it is or what it's called, but they would lower something into the ocean behind the ship. That that's got it's got like a catch to it, a little that'll catch the water mm-hmm. and drag with it, you know. And at certain sections, there's a knot, and there's another knot, and there's another knot. And when they're going faster, like how many knots are we going? Like hold on, and they'll take it and throw it out the back of the ship and hold it, and then like how many knots get ripped out of their hands at once? Like like you throw it in there and you're trying to hold knots, it goes and you're like, oh, we're going like three knots. Oh, pretty neat. Seems kind of not very specific at all well i mean fuck they measure hor- <laughs> they measure horses with hands how tall measure is- horses with hands you didn't know that they do today this horse is 12 hands high or what well, yeah hand of god they do that's a little horse oh, is it i mean this and that six times yeah that's a little horse well whatever i just said a number <laughs> it's but- a pony <laughs> yeah <laughs> And 
measurement back in like biblical times was a cubit or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that was like the distance from your shoulder to your elbow. They always had like weird measurements. Yeah. Not every body is the same. I know. <laughs> I hear you. Inaccurate. And it says right here, like, um, I turned and saw him. I, I, uh, let me see. 100 rods. That has to do with something. I'm guessing a rod. If I was a betting man. But if they got to hold on to the rope behind their ship to tell how fast they're going, how do they know how fast a whale usually goes? I want to know that, Mr. Chase. How you know? Well, that's why he got promoted. Well, I'm sorry. They call him. I'm sorry, Mr. Chase. It, yeah, it's it, it's like Mr. Knots to you. Oh. Yeah. Read a book about knots. I can if you want me to, but I'm not going to enjoy it. <laughs> You're not going to enjoy it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So now the crew was really in trouble because this thing had just hit them head on. The Essex was quickly taking on water through the hole in the bow. And the other two boats were still out in the distant waters, one of which was headed by Captain Pollard. So their own captain didn't even know the extent of what had just happened on his own ship because he was out in the fucking waters. Chase and the other sailors began trying to gather supplies and navigational aids and adding rigging to the only remaining whale boat that was under the deck, while the other boats were returning to the doomed ship. Quote, The captain's boat was the first that reached us. He stopped about a boat's length off, but had no power to utter a single syllable. He was so completely overpowered with the spectacle before him. End quote. And I envision, like, when you see in, like, TV and movies when parents return home after a date and there's, like, a fire in the kitchen and a kid swinging from the ceiling fan and another kid has their younger brother in a headlock and the sink is overflowing. That look of what the fuck on the parents' faces, that's <laughs> that's the look the captain had on his face coming back to his ship. He was just, what? Huh? Huh? Why is it always in those scenarios there has to be water shooting out of the sink? Think yeah. about it. Every single one, the, the, the sink... This faucet is broken and there's water just shooting up. Yeah. I've only seen that on TV. I've never seen that in real life. And I've made messes. But you'd have to really give a fuck to do that. Or not give a fuck to do that. Yeah. And always a range that's on fire. Yeah. And far enough away from the sink to where the sink can't do anything about it. Yeah. <laughs> that spray is not hitting it's the not fire. not hitting the fucking fire at all. <laughs> So I was like, well, this is just piss poor construction, tell you what. <laughs> so continuing on, quote, he was in a short time, however, enabled to address the inquiry to me. My God, Mr. Chase, what is the matter? I answered, we have been stove by a whale, end quote. This makes me think of um, the bag hutch. We were stove by a whale. No shit. <laughs> <laughs> Where'd all the bags go? In the bag hutch. No shit. No shit. <laughs> <laughs> now, where this had happened was about 2,000 nautical miles west of South America. The ship was going to sink, but they had a little bit of time to plan and prepare. They had three 28-foot whaleboats for 20 men, so six or seven apiece. Plus, they had to cram as many supplies onto each as they could. They rigged them with makeshift masts and sails taken from the Essex and raised the height on the sides in an attempt to prevent large waves from spilling over the sides. They deduced that the closest land was either the Marquesas Islands or the Society Islands, which were more than 1,200 miles, which is 2,200 kilometers, or 2,000 miles, which is 3,700 kilometers away, respectively. 
And either one of those land masses Thomas was not allowed on. <laughs> no, Th- you stay. Thomas, watch. <laughs> guard the boat, Thomas. <laughs> the sinking boat. Can't I be um, on the dock, sir? Nope. Nope. <laughs> Nobody will take it if you're in it. Just sitting it. <laughs> and you know what? For good measure, give me your lantern. Give me your matches. <laughs> give me everything you got. <laughs> you get to have this. Here, guard guard the ship with this. Like pyro. You just gave me a peanut butter sandwich. Yeah, it's dangerous. Some people are allergic. Just guard the <laughs> ship with this. <laughs> Get him, Tiger. I believe in you. Uh, now, these two islands, it w- they were the closest land, and they would be sailing with the wind if they went to one of these two. But Chase and the second mate, Matthew Joy, believed those islands were inhabited by cannibals. Bum, bum, bum. And suggested <laughs> And suggested sailing south and then east back to South America. But this route was much farther, some 4,000 miles or 7,400 kilometers away, and most of it would be against the wind and strong currents. Somehow, Captain Pollard thought that their chances of survival were better following the first and second mate's plan and went with it. He opted for the equivalent of walking uphill in the snow with no shoes on. Mm -hmm. Let's go two to three times as far away against the wind and currents. They yeah. basically went the way our parents took to school. Because they thought there might might be some cannibals if they went to one of the other yep. places. When I was your age, I had to walk to school with shoe boxes with, with milk cartons on my feet. And <laughs> all I had was a fishing wire. And I had to fight a bear. What was the fishing wire for? I don't know, but my brother is dead. <laughs> <laughs> like, Mom, that fish gets bigger every time you tell that story. Tell you what. <laughs> Brother gets deader. (laughs) Well, for the next two days, the men prepared the boats and stocked them each with two months of provisions as the Essex slowly began to sink. On November 22nd, they departed with Pollard, Chase, and Joy, each commanding a boat. They immediately began rationing their food, but much of it had been soaked with seawater, leading to increased thirst due to high salt content. Add to that the intensity of being exposed to constant sunlight and they slowly began to dehydrate. Leaks in the boats kept springing up, and Pollard's boat was damaged by a killer whale. The fucking whales! (laughs) Having their vengeance! (laughs) Now, to fix these leaks, the men would then have to all lean to one side, causing the side with the leak to tip up out of the water, and then they had to hold that position until crew from the other boats could get next to them and repair it. Sort of guy that kind of for a second made me think of the movie Speed. Everybody had to get on one side of the bus Mm -hmm. so they could turn. So, yeah, they had to make these repairs on the water. That was the only way they could do it, is just to all tip to one side and flip the boat up. So, I'm sure that had to wear them out as well. On December 20th, they landed on Henderson Island. They found fresh water to drink and birds, eggs, crabs, and peppergrass to eat. But after a week, they had nearly exhausted food sources on the little island. Tom wanted to burn it down, but they're like, Tom, stop. Where's your peanut butter? What'd you do with your peanut butter sandwich? I want more turtles. Tom, sit down. <laughs> Three of the men decided to take their chances staying on the island, and the other 17 got back in the whaleboats and set sail for Easter Island, which was less than 1,000 miles or 1,900 kilometers away on December 27th. Second mate Matthew Joy, who had been in ill health since before the Essex had even launched from Nantucket, 
was the first to die on January 10th of 1821. You know what? I'm glad. Why? Um, he should have had the wherewithal to not get on the goddamn boat in the first place. And it falls on the captain, too. You know? Like, um, how you doing, Matthew? <laughs> I'm not feeling very good. Good. So you're on the second deck. No. 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 <laughs> Fuck, man. Really? Well, maybe he had a family he had to provide for. Well, okay, if he's, you know, in those times, the man, the man provided for the family, I'm sure he's provided enough, maybe make the man some chicken noodle soup. He's sick. He, this was coming. This he was probably coming. had tuberculosis. I bet. <laughs> Sorry, Hunter. You had the cool tuberculosis. The kind that you get over? Yeah, that's the good kind. <laughs> well, the crew buried him at sea, and sailor Obed Hendricks took over command of his boat. A storm the next day caused Chase's boat to separate from the other two, and another sailor died on January 18th. He was also buried at sea. On February 7th, another sailor on Chase's boat, suffering from dehydration, malnutrition, and exhaustion, started to go crazy. He stood up, demanding a dinner napkin and water, and then fell into, quote, the most horrid and frightful convulsions, end quote. He died the next day, February 8th, but the crew held on to the body. After some discussion amongst the three remaining men, a hard decision was made. Per Chase, quote, Humanity must shudder at the dreadful recital of what came next. The crew, quote, Separated limbs from his body and cut all the flesh from the bones, after which we opened the body, took out the heart, and then closed it again, sewed it up as decently as we could, and committed it to the sea, end quote. The men roasted the organs on a flat stone and ate them as well. You know, everybody has like an avulsion towards it, you know, and be like, oh, this is horrible. It's a very taboo. It's a very taboo thing, cannibalism, you know, but I think nowadays we've become so fucking jaded to where like if you heard about this, you know, like up until now, you'd be like, why did they, they fucking bury him at sea when you just eat him? Like that's like commonplace now. I'm not saying <laughs> we go around eating each other, but the idea of it's not that scary anymore. It's like, oh, so you resorted to cannibalism, no? Did you eat him? Okay, good. Like, even as you read that, I'm like, well, I hope they cooked it. Eh. Yeah, I was trying to figure out how they would even cook it, but then I read that about the the hot stone, and I was like... Crafty. Yeah. Just ten days later, Chase and the other two sailors spotted a ship in the distance, the British brig Indian. And then realized they'd have a really awkward conversation. <laughs> they managed to sail to it and were finally rescued after 89 days at sea. Now, during this time, the boat Hendricks was commanding with two crew members ran out of food on January 14th. Pollard and the seven crew members on his boat shared their food rations with the other three. One of the men on Pollard's boat died on January 20th, and they decided to keep his body to cannibalize, which was a good idea, I guess, since all of the food was gone by the next day, the 21st. Three more men on Pollard's boat died in the next week on January 23rd, 27th, and 28th, all of which were eaten. The next day, the 29th, Hendricks' boat and Pollard's boat were separated. Hendricks nor his men had any kind of navigational equipment and the crew floated away, believed to have died at sea. Though a whaleboat with three skeletons later washed up on Ducey Island, it was never able to be determined if they were indeed Hendricks and his two crewmen, though most believe that it probably was. Hey, why not? The first week of February, the situation was dire again on Pollard's boat, as the food was once again depleted. 
the four men decided to draw straws to see who would be killed and eaten. The 17-year-old cousin of Captain Pollard, by the unfortunate name of Owen Coffin, drew the marked lot. (laughs) (laughs) Pollard had made a promise to Coffin's mother that he would look after the young man on the voyage and was not happy about this. He shouted, quote, My lad, my lad, if you don't like your lot, I'll shoot the first man that touches you, end quote. He even offered himself to be the sacrifice in Coffin's stead. But Coffin, probably ready to give up anyway, insisted that he be the one to be killed. It was either an act of honor and bravery or... Or just uh, fuck it. You know, fuck, this sounds better than what's going on right now. (laughs) The men then drew lots again to see who would be the executioner. Coffin's young friend Charles Ramsdell drew the marked lot and Coffin was shot and cannibalized. Another sailor named Barzillay Ray, I think that's how it's pronounced. Barzillay Ray died on February 11th, leaving Pollard and Ramsdale to consume the body. When the meat was gone, they then gnawed on the bones of Coffin and Ray for their marrow for the rest of their time at sea, which was another 12 days. On February 23rd, 93 days after the Essex sank, Pollard and Ramsdale were almost in sight of the South American coast, when they were spotted by crew on the Nantucket whale ship Dolphin. You're in sight of land, and then you find a fucking ship. (laughs) (laughs) You would think that they would rejoice when seeing rescuers, but the two men were so disoriented and starved that they began stuffing bone fragments into their pockets to take with them onto the ship. They were described as, quote, sucking the bones of their dead messmates, which they were loath to part with. End quote. They weren't going to give that shit up for nothing. That's yeah. some good, good marrow. It's my meat. You get your own meat. You leave my <laughs> meat alone. A merchant vessel named Surrey was already intending to sail across the Pacific, so authorities asked them to look for the three men that had originally stayed on Henderson Island. The three were rescued almost a year after the Essex sank, so if everyone had just stayed on the island, it's quite possible someone could have found them eventually. Well. But... Since they didn't know where to look, maybe not. And you just, you can't trust Tom. Nope, can't trust him. Tom's a real dick. Most of the surviving men from the boats were not looked at as monsters for their cannibalism, as it was considered part of life on the sea in the direst of circumstances. But Captain Pollard got some flack for eating his own cousin. Well, okay. His aunt couldn't bear being around him, and one scholar later referred to him as having committed, quote, Gastronomic incest, end quote. <laughs> that's an interesting... Yeah. That's an interesting way to put it. I could, I could see where the ant's coming from. Like, I'd be like, you know, I'd rather you just killed him and cut him in half and chopped his head off and pissed on him. You ate him. You fucking ate him. Mm-hmm. If I was the dad, I'd be so angry. He used to live in my balls. <clears throat> and you ate him. You made him. From scratch. <laughs> Well, all eight of the survivors got back on the horse and went back to sea within months of their return to Nantucket. Stupid. (laughs) Or or they got a taste for people. (laughs) They're like, maybe it'll happen again. Let's go back out. Let's go back out. (laughs) Where's Tom? But Pollard's bad luck continued. In early 1822, while commanding the whale ship Two Brothers, the ship was wrecked during a storm off the coast of Hawaii on its first voyage. He then joined a merchant vessel, but it wrecked off of the Hawaiian island shortly after as well. So he was thrown overboard, right? 
Well, after this, Pollard was considered to be unlucky and called a Jonah, and no ship owners would let him get near their ships. What's a Jonah? That's That was the term they used for someone that was unlucky, a Jonah. Probably Jonah and the whale. What's that? From the Bible. What's that? <laughs> it's this thing that religious people read. <laughs> I was waiting for you like, it's this book. <laughs> people dig it. Yeah. A lot of people really like it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Pollard was not allowed near anyone's ships. Nobody would have him. And he was forced to retire from the sea and became a night watchman in Nantucket, locking himself in his room each November 20th in memory of the Essex sailors. And he lived to age 78. Chase made it back to Nantucket on June 11th, 1821, and was able to meet his 14-month-old daughter that hadn't been born before he left. He wrote a complete account of the tragedy called Narrative of the Most Extraordinary and Distressing Shipwreck of the Whale Ship Essex. That's a very long title. Yeah, Dad, take up the cover. 30 years later in 1851, Herman Melville used it as inspiration for the classic novel Moby Dick. Chase continued at sea for another 19 years, unbelievably, while suffering from headaches and nightmares. Probably some good old PTSD. Yeah. He began hoarding food in his attic later in life and was eventually institutionalized, dying in Nantucket in 1869 at age 73. And that's the grisly tale of the Doom whale ship Essex. And I just want to point out that if the crew had followed Pollard's suggestion of heading to the Marquesas or Society Islands, they probably would have all survived. But for fear of encountering cannibals... They took a path that led them to becoming cannibals themselves, which is the sad irony of this whole story. Yeah. <laughs> Not even cannibals, but mobile cannibals. <laughs> mobile cannibals? Yeah, they're not just on an island. They're in a boat. Mm-hmm. Going around. Yep. Eating. Yep. I don't know. They're eating well, though. <sighs> Fucking Thomas. He's a real <laughs> dick punch. Well, we hope you liked this one, and thanks for listening. If you did like what you heard, please get on iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and a review. And this is one of the best ways to help us. We know it can be a pain in the ass, but we would really appreciate it if you guys could do that for us. Wait. <laughs> I had an idea. Since this show is called Martinis and the Macabre, you know that we have a couple drinks and we talk about stuff that is macabre. But since we're going on our uh, third... This is our third year? Mm-hmm. This is season three. I thought we would have a good segment. And it would be called Billy's Boozy Corner. Okay? You've and had so many segments over the past two years, and they never continue. That's what I'm going to stick with. <laughs> but I need help from the listeners. Okay. I want recipes. And once I get enough, or I get one, you know, every however often I get them, every show... I will make a cocktail that Erica will drink, and that'll be a part of it. We'll add the martinis part to the martinis and the macabre. So let me know what you guys think. Okay. Why do I have to drink it? I'm cutting down on my drinking because I'm going back to the gym, and I'm not going to be drinking, so. So you're going to make me a lush? Uh, yeah, probably, yeah. <laughs> While I'm sitting here drinking water. <laughs> Enjoy that water, bitch. Yay. Woo! Fish fucking it. All right. That was fish shitting it. That too. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, yeah, so 
If you guys could do that, get on iTunes, leave us a review, or anywhere where you can leave a rating or review would be greatly appreciated. And while you're on the internet, if you can go check out the other great podcast on the Murderly Network, where we have a home, that would be much appreciated as well. Show them some love. You can find all of us at the website murder.ly. If you'd like to be a real baller and financially support the show, please go to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash martinis in the macabre and make a pledge. Even a $1 pledge gets you access to our patron-only audio each month and a shout-out on the show. And for just a few dollars more, you can get some exclusive goodies. And once again, thank you to our patrons, Amy and Kirsten. She did correct us. It is Kirsten. Or correct me, I should say. I was right. Billy was right. Amy and Kirsten. Uh, Bonnie, Bridget, Cooper, Corina, Corey, Donald, Dylan, Belfast, Grace Times 2, Holly, Hunter, Jennifer, Kate, Christy, Lady Danger, and I may have forgotten to say that last time, and if I did, I apologize, Lady Danger. Thank you so much for your support. We love you, Lady Danger. Wow. <laughs> Special love for Lady Danger. Wow. You got, you got a kiss. Marie Maxime, Molly S, Molly W, Stephen, and Sue, and we got a new one today. So I want to send a thank you out to Kristen. We appreciate your support. You awesome snuggle bunnies have our undying love. Hi, Kristen. And you can now make a one-time donation in the amount of your choosing via our PayPal link on our website, martinisandthemacabre.com, near the bottom of the homepage. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at martinisandthemacabre and on Twitter at martini underscore macabre. Be sure to join our fan page on Facebook as well at friends who like martinis and the macabre. We love interacting with you guys. Feel free to post whatever you like on the pages and to share our post. Because sharing our pages, posts, and tweets helps get the word out, helps us grow organically. So please feel free to share away. And sharing is caring. It I is. found that out from, I believe, the Care Bears. Mm-hmm. Care Bear Stare. Care Bear Stare. Motherfuckers. <laughs> visit our website martinisinthemacabre.com to learn a little bit about us listen to our complete episode catalog or to listen to all of the great songs created by Minimus Noah that we use at the end of each episode and keep listening of course because there will be another new one at the end of this episode and he sent me a new one today so and got one more for next time that young man has a great work ethic I mean he sent a song to Erica today after having a medical procedure done yeah <laughs> he had to go under the knife and he still did it so yep is the hard he's a hard working boy he is uh and i'm gonna try to be more interactive on twitter it's hard for me to do because i work six days a week um and oddly enough my phone doesn't chime anymore for twitter but i have notifications turned on hmm. so like if you post something on like and a lot of you will know like if you post something on facebook i'll usually respond immediately because my phone goes ding you know but Twitter just doesn't do it no more. Even though it's activated, doesn't do it. So I'll be like, oh shit, what's going on on Twitter? And I realize like, oh, you have this many mentions, this many notifications. You were, you know, you have this many more followers. And I'm like, why didn't anybody, why didn't Twitter tell me? So you expect Twitter to do all your work for you? A bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> A little bit. So yeah, uh, back to Minimus Noah. You can find his first official album release called Views, that's V-I-E-W-S, on iTunes, Spotify, and many other music providers. Please go check that out. Support a truly creative and hardworking and independent artist. Uh, he really makes some good stuff. And for any questions, comments, or topic suggestions, shoot us an email at martinisinthemacabre at gmail.com 
or you can use the contact page on the website. Once again, thanks so much for listening. Oh, and uh, Kirsten, uh, Erica's going to get a hold of you soon. I will be getting a hold of her soon. All right, guys. Stay safe, Snuggle Bunnies, and we'll see you in two weeks. Bye-bye. Bye. Probably Jonah and the whale. What's that? From the Bible. What's that? <laughs> Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.